God, thank you for the chance to be together with each and every person who is here this morning. Uh, we thank you uh, for the freedom to be with each other and to learn together. And my prayer, very simply, is that each and every one of us, for having been here, would grow. I pray that those of us who are already at work on the same road as you are following you, that we would become more faithful and courageous and informed in our relationship with you so that you could use us in the world in the way that you mean to, to greater effect. And then, God, for those of us who do not yet believe, who are not yet along on this path with you, my prayer is that as I share this morning, you would be powerfully at work and that your spirit would draw every one of us to you, even those who have not yet decided to follow. I pray that hearts would be given to you this morning, that entire lives would be turned over to you because you are the Lord, and we all need to know that, and I ask that you would help that happen because of our time together, and I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I am so thankful to be with you guys. Uh, you've heard in my prayer what I hope for this morning, and I ask God for it. I hope that every one of us will grow those of us who are following Jesus will grow to follow him with more courage and confidence. And then I pray that there are some who don't follow Jesus yet, but for having been here will not be invited by me, but he'll actually invite so that you'll come and follow him. Our goal this year at Renaissance uh, is really captured by these three words that you see on the side screen, that we would gather together in order to see Jesus. And that seeing Jesus would cause us to grow. Every time a person sees Jesus, they change and grow. And that's our second goal, that our seeing him would help us grow, to follow him. And then that following him would make us effective at showing Jesus to others. The mission that God has for his people is that they would see Jesus and change, and then changing, they would become the way he brings others to himself. That's what God wants. And so we're gonna see and follow and then show Jesus as we gather and grow and then go from this place into our lives as changed people. The reason this is our approach for this coming year is because when you look at Jesus, this is how he did it. Now, last week, we, we saw Jesus approach first a set of brothers, uh, Simon, who became Peter, and his brother Andrew at work. They were fishing. And Jesus came to them, and he invited them to come with him. And they decided to do that. They left their work and went with him. He then found another set of brothers, James and John. Same invitation, follow me, he said. And they also came with Jesus. He wanted them to see him so that they would grow to follow him. And then he made a promise to them. And his promise was, if you come with me, I will make you fish for people. That was Jesus' way of saying, I'm gonna send you out so that you show others who I am. And that will result in the growth of, of this new movement, this community of people who have seen Jesus and been changed and are now going to show him. That was in Matthew chapter four. That's what we looked at last week. This morning, we'll see a subsequent story in which the promise that Jesus made then is beginning to come true. That is, in which the ones who followed him will now get to see how he'll use them to fish for others as he brings another person into the community. And this story is recorded a little bit later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter nine. And what you're going to see with me this morning is the moment when Matthew, the person for whom this book is named, actually makes the same decision as those fishermen. So Matthew 9, 9. Here's how it is told uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew 
sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, I want to focus our attention in on this single descriptive verse because in it, there are lessons that will help all of us wherever we are know how we're meant to gather and grow and go. In some ways, the scene looks almost identical to the one that we looked at last week. We have a man at work. Matthew's at work. We have Jesus arriving there where this man's ordinary life unfolds, as Jesus does. And then we have Jesus extending the same invitation he extended last time. In English, it's follow me. In Greek, akalutheo. We, we spent some time on this word last week, so this may be review. Uh, akalutheo was the stereotypical way a rabbi would extend an official invitation to a prospective student to join with the others in his class, so to speak, so that that person could learn. When James and John and Andrew and Peter heard Akalutheo, they heard this rabbi Jesus inviting them to come with him literally on the same road that he was on, but also figuratively to let Jesus' intellect shape their intellects, to let their way of thinking about the world follow Jesus' way of thinking so that the old ways that they thought when they came into conflict with this new inspiring and moving religious figure's vision of the world, they would choose to go with him. This was an invitation not only to go with him in their minds but with their behaviors. It was an invitation to follow him morally. When everyone else said a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye, that's the way we do ethics with violence. Jesus said, no, different way. You're gonna come with me. You're gonna forgive. And it was a challenge to do that. And not only those two, not only mind and actions, but also the invitation to come with Jesus was one that appealed to their hearts. Come with me in your heart. Let your heart come after me. Uh, Those fishermen, they made that choice. Matthew makes the same choice. In, In those ways, it's the same story. But there's one detail which makes it completely different. And in this singular detail, there are lessons for us together if we'll see carefully what we can see in this scene. And the detail is that in this case, we don't have a fisherman who's invited. Instead, we have a tax collector. And in the first century, the difference between a fisherman and a tax collector means everything. It means that this scene is shocking and surprising and unsettling and unnerving and, and has in it brilliant lessons for people like us today if we'll let our eyes actually see what it means that Jesus goes from inviting fishermen now to inviting a tax collector to join this community. If our eyes are open to see it, God will teach us something. God will teach those of us who already follow him what it will mean for us to be in a church that is gathered by him. That's what we're gonna see. And it will teach those of us maybe who don't believe that God could want us, that in fact he does. And then lastly, if we'll see it, this scene has something in it that will move us to understand why someone would give everything up to go after Jesus. And we're going to get some help seeing this from an old favorite, Caravaggio. Are you with me? Yeah, some of you were here last year when we spent some time learning from the Italian artist Caravaggio. This painting here, was completed by Caravaggio in 1599, and it was the first commissioned painting that this brilliant artistic genius completed in Rome. 
Uh, it, it depicts the moment that we've just read about in which Jesus brings along his followers with him into a very unexpected place to invite a very unexpected person to join their company. And Caravaggio captures uh, with brilliance the theological substance of this scene uh, in a very striking way. I want to talk about the painting for a little bit before we come back to the story in the scriptures. In the middle of the 16th century, there was a very wealthy French cardinal his name was Cantarelli, who commissioned the building of a chapel in Rome because where else would you want your chapel to be built, right? Have you been to Rome? You need to go to Rome, all right? Cantarelli says, this is where my chapel's gonna be, and his first name is Matteo, which is Matthew, and he decides that the chapel should be decorated with scenes from his namesake, from the Gospel of Matthew. He hires the, the, the most brilliant superstar of his day to do the painting, but then Contarelli dies, and before it's completed, that artist gets another invitation, which is more spectacular. So they hire Plan B. At this point, Caravaggio is a young guy who's painting people's portraits in the streets, you know, with like the big nose and the huge ears. That's what he did until he got invited to take up this job. And this, this was the first canvas that Caravaggio painted as a commissioned artist. And he chose for his first scene the moment when Jesus reached out to Matthew and he captures it in a way that was utterly unique compared to the way all other religious paintings, paintings were, were crafted in his day because he put, he put the imagery right where it was in the Bible rather than where the religious folks in his day would have put it, which was in the, the highfalutin and finely dressed churches of Rome. This scene right here is placed in the back room of a tavern that the people who drank too much in Rome would have known by sight. That's where he actually painted it. And he did that and decorated the scene with people who are not wearing the clothing of first century Jerusalem. Do you see their outfits there? That's not what uh, tax collectors in Matthew's day would have worn. That is what anyone in Rome would have recognized immediately as the clothing of a rich and powerful person who wanted to show others how rich and powerful they were with the way they dressed. It's vanity. And you can see maybe if you look carefully, there's a man there with a sword on his hip. The guys are leaning forward and counting the cash on the table. That hat there with the feather in it, that is 16th century bling. This is Caravaggio's way of saying it is good to to be a gangsta. That's what these guys are. They, these are gangsters in Rome, in the bar, and everybody who saw the painting would know that. And there Jesus comes right into that environment with his invitation. Hallelujah. This is, this is a, there's a theological point being made here by this young rebellious artist that's against the grain for when he painted, but which is far truer to the scriptures. And the point is that Jesus comes right to where the least likely candidates are for his mission with an invitation to join him. And he does that, and here's where we're gonna get our first lesson. He does that with his disciples right there beside them because he wants to teach those who are already following him a lesson about what they'll have to accept if they choose to go along with him. And so we're going to look at this painting from three perspectives. And the first is the guy there on the right side of the canvas who's beside Jesus. That's Caravaggio's depiction of the Apostle Peter. Okay, again, to review, Simon, 
is fishing. Jesus the rabbi comes along and says, I want you to join my company of disciples. I want you to choose to dedicate your life from now on to knowing me, to following me, and then showing me to other people. I'm asking you to put down what you've done and become a new person altogether. That's the reason his name is changed from Simon to Peter, by the way. And any person who follows Jesus is not just coming along to have some new ideas, but to have their entire lives turned around so they have a new identity. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, let me remind you of what you signed up for when you went Went along with him. You signed up for an altogether new existence. Thank goodness. Now Peter comes along with Jesus and starts to learn. He watches Jesus love people that other people don't love. He sees Jesus' power used to heal diseases and to bring relief where there was suffering. He listens as Jesus does the most miraculous teaching anyone has ever heard. And now Peter has to walk with Jesus into the most unlikely environment where there's a tax collector at work with his business associates and he sees his teacher say to that guy, I want you also to come with me, which will mean to Peter, I want you also to come with us. And in that moment, if you had put yourself in Peter's position, you would be feeling like this guy here. Do you notice how tentative his posture is in this moment? He's not enthusiastic. His hand is raised as if to say, what? You want that guy to come with us? I have to be in the same group as him? And the reason he thinks that is plain. If you know anything about tax collectors, you know that in the first century, tax collectors are universally hated because they make their living between an oppressive empire, Rome, and a, a group of people, God's own people, who are being exploited at the threat of violence, the way that tax collectors make their living is standing right between those two and taking money for this group from this group in order to enrich themselves. Can you think of someone who would be like that in our world today, who you would not want to be near? That's who the tax collector is. And there. With Jesus right beside him, Peter has to watch his master say, yes, I actually want that guy too. Not only were they hated socially, they were actually rejected religiously. They were considered morally untouchable. By the other rabbis in Jesus' day, tax collectors were included on a list of people who were forbidden from coming into the synagogue because like certain animals, they were considered unclean. The rabbis, not Jesus, but the other rabbis taught that when God in his old covenant, in Leviticus, for instance, described people who were cut off from God's presence, whom God would never have near him, they applied that teaching to the tax collectors. And so now imagine yourself with Peter. You've decided to sign up with this rabbi, but now he wants to bring someone who the other rabbis have said is unclean and is unfit to be in the presence of anyone who's godly. What are you going to think in this moment? Can you use your imagination here? And here's why I want you to use your imagination. It's the first lesson for all of us if we're going to be gathered by Jesus rather than gathering ourselves. It is that we have to be prepared to have people that we would never want to be with in the community of faith invited to join up with us by Jesus himself. And if we're not willing to let him determine the roster, we might find ourselves rejected from his company. Who would it be for you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever unfriended someone from Facebook because you got so sick of the political nature of their rants? Yes or no? Some of you have done that. Can you imagine Jesus coming and saying, oh yeah, by the way, that person's also gonna join you at Renaissance Church and sit right next to you next Sunday. 
And you might think they're so conservative, I could never sit next to someone like that. Or they're so liberal. How could someone that liberal ever be in the community of faith? And now half of you are wondering, is Christian a liberal? And the other half are wondering, is Christian a conservative? And, and, and yeah, that's exactly it. That tension and that uneasiness is meant to be captured in this man's posture right there because this is emphatically true of the community that Jesus chooses to build when he builds his church. We have to be prepared for Jesus to invite people to join us that we would never think have any part in his work. You see that? Do not misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that everyone who comes with Jesus stays exactly where they are. In fact, not true at all. Everyone who comes with Jesus has to come to a different place from where they were before they came. No one is right now and therefore gets invited. Jesus comes into the back room at the bar because this is a part of what he will do to build his community. And if we're gonna be a part of his gathering, then we have to be prepared to have people who we would never want to come along with us invited as well. That's our first lesson. And it's, it's, it's one that's meant to be specifically challenging to each one of us. You let your mind go there for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus already, and are thinking, it would be hard for me if this kind of follower came. Uh, Jesus here wants to challenge us to be open to his determination of who he brings to gather among us. Okay, that's, that's, that's what we get when we look at this scene from Peter's perspective. Second lesson. Uh, I want us to uh, look away from Peter for a moment, and now to the, the figure who is on the painting behind him, Jesus, and consider this scene from Jesus' perspective. Again, one of the brilliant uh, qualities of, of many of Caravaggio's paintings is that he strips away the sort of religious layers of tradition and, and misinformation that were rampant in his time and gives the, the picture of Jesus that fits most definitely with what you see when you let the Bible tell you what he is like and what kind of person this is. And when, when Caravaggio does this here, he takes Jesus out of the temple again, puts him into the ordinary place, and then he puts Jesus into this strange a moment of inviting someone that no one in Rome would ever think should come along with Jesus, the gangster who's there counting his money. That person shouldn't be invited. And it raises the question, what does Jesus see in that person there that makes him want to invite him along? And that question is where our second lesson uh, sits for us. It's a lesson in Jesus' way of seeing. And, and here's everything. Jesus does not see like anyone else sees. And that was true then, and it was true in Rome, and it's true right now. You see, the, the way that other people see is that when they come into the place where Matthew is, they see a tax collector. They see someone who is a traitor. They see someone who should not be trusted and who is pushed away from God's people for good reason because that's what they see when they look at him. And the truth about uh, the people in Rome is they had their own vision of what moral, religious, righteous people should look like, and they sure didn't look like the people in this painting. And the truth about our own day is we have our own vision of what it looks like from the outside to be someone who follows God, and there's the difference right there in a single word. Jesus sees the inside while we see the outside. And this is true of us. We judge people based on what they look like. The moment I stood up here with my fancy, fancy bow tie, you all judged me. <laughs> you did, because of how I look, 
right? And, and because of my job, you make judgments about me. Oh, yeah, he's the pastor. He's supposed to say that. And we do this all the time to each other. Everywhere we go, we judge people based on what we see. And the thing about Jesus is he does not do that. And if we're going to be his community built by him, if we're going to follow him, we have to choose not to do that. It happens all the time. I was in, in Manhattan this week on Thursday visiting uh, some folks from church. And so I was walking down 49th Street, heading east, purposeful, and I was dressed like I should be in the city. I had my sports coat and my tie, but not my bow tie. That's for here. I had my necktie. And I'm moving along, and there's a woman on the sidewalk with her hand out asking for money. Now, I looked at her, and I felt compassion. And I said to her, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash to give you. And then I smiled. For me, that was a genuine smile. It didn't look like it to her. She narrowed her eyes. Don't give me that smug smile. Keep on walking, Mr. Finance. She called me Mr. Finance <laughs> because she thought I worked in one of those buildings. And now, by the way, if you work in one of those buildings, I have new compassion for you. You're judged because of your job. I said, I don't work in finance. What do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. That made it even worse. <laughs> and, and she judged me. And you know what? I did the same thing to her. I had her all in a box because of what she looked like and who I assumed she was. And if we're gonna be in Jesus' community, we don't do that. Please listen to this. We don't do that to others and we refuse to do it to ourselves. That is, we say, I'm not gonna judge others by the exterior and I'm actually not gonna do that anymore to me. And here's why. That's not how Jesus sees. And we see that also in this scene. And it was in the text when Jesus came to the place where he saw Matthew, listen to the words again, pay close attention. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew. He did not see a tax collector. He didn't. And that's because Jesus refuses to see any of us in that way. He refuses to reduce anyone in this room to their job. He refuses to reduce you to what you look like and how you dress. He refuses to reduce you to your education. He refuses to reduce you even in, into the box of where you fit morally. You might think, well, I, I've done some awfully bad things. Yes, of course you have. Jesus does not see that, first of all. He doesn't see your successes that you count as a success or your failures. He sees right into the heart of who he made you to be. And this is the truth about every single one of you. When he looks at who he made you to be, he says, I want you to come with me. No matter what the exterior is, no matter how the religious community has judged you, no matter how you judge yourself, he judges you in this way. I want you. I see you. I see you there better than you see yourself. And I want you to come with me. Now, please understand this. Jesus gathers people to himself, not so they stay just where they've always been. He wants you to grow. And he wants you to grow so that you would go to show him. He looks at Matthew and he says, I refuse to reduce you to tax collector. I see instead future evangelist. I see someone who's got a great purpose before him. Come with me. Let me change you so you can be one of the people that I use to go out into the world and show others me so that they can also come along. Oh, Matthew, give up what you've always used to identify yourself and let me tell you who you are. You are mine and I love you. Come with me and I've got a new purpose for you. Matthew heard that in Jesus' invitation and if you will see anything at all from this story, it will be that the same invitation comes now to you just where you are right now. And this is what I want more than anything else, that God 
that God's spirit, even as I share this morning, would be present in your heart in such a way that you would recognize his invitation, just like Jesus invited Matthew here. That you would have that sense that yes, this is what my life is for, to follow this invitation. How that will look, I cannot tell you. It will be as realistic as an invitation from the very place where you hang out with your work friends. That's how, it won't be some holy thing that happens only in a special environment. It will be right there where you live your life like it is here. But it will be a real invitation. And you should answer it by getting up and going with Jesus. You should. If you've done that already, do it again. Uh, I think the way that we live uh, is such that every day we need to answer that invitation again. If you've never done that, uh, and, you, and you think to yourself, well, could Jesus really be inviting me? Uh, hold on a minute, we're gonna come to that. You should follow him, and we can come to that by looking at this, this scene from the third perspective, and that is, so we've looked at Peter and Jesus, and that is from the perspective of Matthew, the one who's invited. He's over there on the left side of the canvas. Take a look at the way Caravaggio captured him. Again, an absolute genius in capturing live dramatic action uh, it, it, freezing it there on the, on the canvas for us. Here, he depicts Matthew with the gesture that amounts to, very simply, me? Jesus has come, and he wants me to follow him? That's what Matthew is saying in this moment. He simply cannot believe that Jesus would want him to come along and join up with his company. And the truth about, listen now, not some of us, Every one of us, in every single one of us, there will live in some measure a similar reaction to the thought that Jesus would come and want us to join up. For some of us, the reason we'll say me is because our moral record is so ugly and messy, we will think that it must be true that long ago we've been disqualified from being in his company. Not everybody here, but some of us here will think that. I, I'm, I'm, listen, let me be very concrete. Right? There are some whose marriage fell apart and they learned from a religious community that now they're always going to be a second-class citizen among God's people because they're divorced. But even to that one, Jesus comes and says, no, I want you to come with me. 100%, all in, you. Uh, some will have a moral failure behind them in time which still lives in their heart in such a way that it says you have disqualified yourself from now on because you were just that poor in your representation of who Jesus is. And, and to you, Jesus comes, and this is how your heart will respond. Really? Me? Still? I, I'm still included? And yes, Jesus comes and says, yes, you too. And there's a long list that can be added that will result in this kind of reaction to Jesus' invitation. You might think, well, I'm not confident enough yet in what I believe. I don't know enough about what Christians are supposed to think. So me? No, not yet. You might say, I have too many doubts. There's a few things that I can hold on to, but there's so many doubts, Jesus couldn't really want me to join up yet. Could he? The answer to every one of those is an emphatic yes. Not because I'm telling you, but because Jesus walked right up to Matthew in the tax booth and said, I want you. And so if that resistance is in you because you think you're too bad, you are invited. Now, on the other hand, there are many of us in uber-successful summit who are inclined to think, well, yes, Jesus is for all those sad sacks who can't pull their lives together, right? Is that term okay to use, sad sack? That's a good term. I'm doing fine. My marriage is, you know, relatively strong. I have a great career. 
I don't lack for anything. I have all that I need. You know what? I'll throw a little benevolence in there. They can use it for good, but Jesus doesn't really want me to come along because I'm doing too well. Let him give his attention to those others who need him so badly. Every single person who thinks like that, every single one of them will at one point face in life the truth that their security is built on sand. That the confidence that comes with having it all together is very shaky indeed. And that in a moment it can all be taken away. And in the moments of quiet where that person reflects on where they really are, there will always be a nagging voice that says, yeah, but I still don't feel right. I still don't have it together. I still can't hold myself. And to that person, Jesus comes also. With his invitation, you also, you come. I know that you're so self-secure and confident and you think you've got it together. What you don't understand in this moment is you've got nothing without me. And Jesus does not come to that person with judgment, but with grace and mercy and love, just like he comes to the one who thinks I'm too bad. We are all in the same seat, around the same table, all of us. And if we're gonna be in Jesus' company, we, 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 get, we get to recognize that. Notice I didn't say we have to. We get to because it is so wonderfully freeing to stop being the judge and let Jesus' invitation tell us who we are. And, and, and listen now, that guy, Matthew, who was that surprised at the invitation, he got up and followed Jesus. He decided to follow him. You know, this is actually remarkable, and this is for another sermon. The word got up in Greek is anastasia. And if you've ever been to an Orthodox Greek church at Easter, you know how they say, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and you're like, why did they say that, right? In a Greek church, they'll say anastasia because the Greek word for resurrection is anastasia. So in this moment, Matthew says, or the, the gospel says, Matthew arose and followed Jesus. Because what's happening is he's not just deciding to follow this guy with his mind. He's not just deciding, I'm gonna behave differently now. He's not just giving him his heart. He's actually receiving new life in, this, in responding to this invitation. And whether you're a person who thinks you're too bad or too good for Jesus, what you need is new life. And without Jesus, you cannot get it. Because when Jesus comes and invites Matthew, he comes in a way that is utterly unique and without compare. Never before or after Jesus has there ever been a rabbi who, in his person, embodies God himself right into the place where people are drinking and counting their money. The Gospel of Matthew begins by telling us that Jesus is God with us. And so the reason that Matthew stands up and follows, leaving everything behind. It's the same reason why you yourself should stand up from whatever is holding you back and follow Jesus, is that Jesus comes with divine authority, inviting Matthew and you to brand new life that is like a resurrection from the dead to new life. And, and listen now, here is my favorite part about Caravaggio. He hid this interpretation in an incredibly clever way in his painting there, the very first one that he ever did, that he was ever commissioned to do, right in the center of Rome, by ripping off another painting that everyone in the city would have known better than his own. Look at Jesus' hand. This hand gesture of Jesus. Some of you know it already. This gesture in Rome in, in 1600, immediately people would have said, he stole that. And they would have known that it was a painting done by the, the most famous painter in the world up until that point, and still even into our own day, so that 
the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are named after, Michelangelo. In the Sistine Chapel, every single person who saw this painting would have already seen this painting. This is an excerpt from the Sistine Chapel, the moment when God himself, that's on the right side, creates humanity in Adam, that's on the left side. And that story captures the truth that the Bible says, which is that all of humanity was created in Adam. That's the Hebrew word for mankind. And this moment in which mankind is created sets the foundation for this second moment when Jesus walks into that bar with his divine authority in such a way that what he's inviting Matthew to is a recreation. And he does that, listen now, he does that, Jesus does that as the new man, the one who, unlike the first Adam, was perfectly obedient. The first Adam in his disobedience brought, brought sin and death into the world and it ruined everything. That's what Paul, one of the followers of Jesus, says in Romans 5. But the second Adam, the new Adam, Jesus, comes into the world and with his perfect obedience, he undoes all the misery and mess that the first Adam caused. The, the old Adam, the old Adam came and, and he was walking away from God and all of creation went into chaos because of that choice. All of us are held captive to sin and death because of the old Adam's decision. But this new Adam, Jesus, by his way of always akalutheo, going along with God, being on the right path in his mind, in his way of being, in his heart, this Jesus recreates the possibility for new life for every single person who would heed his invitation and come along. And that's why, look at the hands side by side. That's why Caravaggio gives Jesus the hand of Adam only backwards to pick, pick up on this brilliant biblical theme that when you personally, now stop thinking about Matthew, when you hear the invitation from Jesus, you are hearing the invitation from the man who undid all of that mess and he did it out of love and he has done it universally. This is why Paul in Romans 5 writes, just as in Adam all have died, so too in Christ all will be made alive. And you might think now, and you should think this, well then why is the world such a rotten mess still? Why don't I feel alive in the new way? Why does sin still master me? The answer from Paul, the answer from this painting, the answer from Jesus is you've gotten off the path. It's time for you to stand up and follow Jesus again. When you follow him, then you are responding to the new Adam and you are going to experience what only his hand can give you, which is new life. And so here, I invite you in the name of God Almighty to get up and follow Jesus. If you followed him already, in your heart now, decide yet again to regard him as the one who is coming to you to recreate you even now. To once again cleanse you from your unrighteousness, your sin, the, the sin that you committed this morning. Let him take it away yet again and be renewed so that you can grow to follow him even more than before so he can use you to help us go and show Jesus to others. That's what we need you for. That's what Jesus has decided to use you for together with us. We need you. You, you need to be gathered and grow and come with us to, to help others see him. If you've never followed him before, stop Stop holding on to whatever it is that keeps you from getting up and going with him. Right now, whatever it is, let it go. If it's because you think you're too bad or too good, nonsense. Here he comes with divine authority and he says, you are mine and I want you. Right now, give your heart to him fully. Your heart, your mind, your affections, your feet. Get up and go with him. 
Go on the same road in the exact same way on the path. Let him show you who he is. Let him change you as you grow and then let him bring you into this company where we're all in the same seat together, growing to show him to others. In these weeks ahead, we'll continue on this path. And I invite you to come again to see him and see how he changes you. Will you come? If you're not here next week, I'll know it. That's not true. I, can't, I can only see like three or four of you here. Let's join our hearts now in prayer uh, to the living Lord and ask him to come and invite us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in Christ, you've come right to the very same places where we find ourselves and you come with your invitation to us. We thank you for the brilliance of the artist Caravaggio who helps us see in a fresh way how you are the one who comes right to where we are. Uh, we pray that for having spent this time with each other this morning, those of us who followed you already would be renewed in our courage, in our confidence, in the breadth of the grace that we have for your decision about who you want to invite along. We pray that you would help us grow for having been here. And then, God, for those of us who, like Matthew, up until this morning had been at something else, God, would you, through your Spirit, invite us to come also to this table where we sit and receive your invitation. And then take away whatever holds us back. And help us come to faith in you even now. Help us accept your invitation to come along with you and be amongst your community, your community of disciples who are learning to grow uh, through you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.